0: Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And today we're going to look at a, a subject which is probably close to everybody's heart, or at least something we should all be interested in, which is risk in property. And I had a fantastic question from Justine Kirkham via Messenger. And by the way, if you want to send your questions to me, find me on Facebook, add me as a friend and send me a question. And if it's suitable, I'd love to cover it in a podcast. And Justine sent me a question which said, I've enjoyed the first couple of podcasts. With you at the helm. Thank you very much Justine, that's good to know. She says, something I'd love to know more about is the risks in property investment and developments. I'm excited and motivated thanks to the educational content and inspirational stories, but I'd like to understand more about where things can go wrong and how to reduce the risk. Many thanks Justine. So Justine, that is a fantastic question and as I say it's something which we should all be interested in, as property investors and aspiring property investors and to be honest with you I could probably make this into a whole series of podcasts I'm sure I could but I'm going to try and keep this to two podcasts and so in this podcast we're going to be thinking about what risk is and then next week we're going to look at some of the specifics of risks that can occur in property investing and developing so let's just think about risk Justine wants to know more about the risks in property, so let's think about what is risk And I think it's important to understand this before we go any further so that we all know what we're talking about and we're all reading off the same page, as it were. So I looked this up, did a bit of prep before we did this podcast, and I went to the English Oxford Dictionary, which is usually a really good source of finding out what things actually mean. And it describes and defines risk as follows. As a noun, a situation involving exposure to danger, the possibility that something unpleasant or unwelcome will happen. Or as a verb, and if you're into grammar you probably know the difference, I'm not sure that I do, a verb is an action thing isn't it? As a verb it says to expose someone to a situation involving danger, to act in such a way that something unpleasant or unwelcome will happen. Now as I read that I thought that that actually sounds quite negative It's quite apocalyptic, isn't it? And it's very much giving the impression that risk is is a bad thing, something to be avoided, almost that the world's going to collapse. But in my experience, and I'm going to share this with you later in this podcast and in next week's podcast, in my experience, I think this is rarely the case with property. So I thought I'd see if I could find a more measured definition of risk, perhaps one which is more closely aligned with what we do as property investors. And I Went to our good friend Dr Google and put in risk and I found a couple of quite interesting definitions of risk. The first one came from the Business Dictionary and that defines risk as a probability or threat of damage, injury, liability loss or any other negative occurrence that is caused by external or internal vulnerabilities and that may be avoided through preemptive action. So, I thought that was a bit more positive. At least it's saying that we can actually avoid risk through preemptive action, and that's something which we're going to think about in these podcasts. It then actually defined it even further because it gave a definition of financial risk, and it said the probability that an actual return on an investment will be lower than the expected return. Let me just repeat that the probability that an actual return on an investment will be lower than the expected return. And again, I thought, yeah, that's a bit more positive. That's not the world falling in. That's not quite as apocalyptic as the English, English Oxford Dictionary version. Because this is suggesting that through preemptive action, we can actually make sure that things don't happen. And the probability that an actual return on investment is gonna be lower than expected is probably something which we could all live with. It's not gonna to lead to the end of our property investing careers, I hope. But I didn't stop there. I went back onto Dr. Google and I found another definition. This time it's from the Economic Times. And it said risk implies future uncertainty about deviation from expected earnings or expected outcome. Risk measures the uncertainty that an investor is willing to re- take to realise a gain from an investment. Hmm, it's interesting. Risk measures the uncertainty that an investor is willing to take. Yeah, that makes sense. Because nothing certain, even in property, nothing is certain, or maybe especially in property, nothing is certain. It goes on to say, risks are of different types and originate from different situations. We have liquidity risk, sovereign risk, insurance risk, business risk, default risk. Various risks originate due to the uncertainty arising out of various factors that influence an investment or a situation. So again, quite a a different type of definition from the Oxford English apocalyptic type version. So this got me thinking, and I was thinking about my experience and how quite often when I'm in Progressive down at HQ in Peterborough and I'm talking to people and they talk about risk, how I suspect we all have a very different idea about what the word risk actually means. And if I'm to be honest with you, when people talk to me about risk, I think that they rarely mean probably what these definitions are suggesting. I don't know whether you can relate to this, but quite often when people talk to me about risk, what I think they're usually saying is it's scary and I think I'm going to get hurt. So probably if we did a straw poll, most people would probably have a definition which is probably more in line with the Oxford English Dictionary apocalyptic version than maybe the other financially-based definitions. So again, that got me thinking about risk and my attitude to risk and my experience of risk. And I thought it would be useful to actually set out, before we go any further, some of the things that we know about risk, particularly in the context of property investing. And I came up with seven points, which I think might be quite helpful. Number one, and remember I'm talking about in the context of property investing particularly, but this probably applies across the board anyway. But number one, nothing is risk-free. There is no such thing as a risk-free investment. There's no such thing as a risk-free property investment. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. If you want totally risk-free, then property might not be for you. There's always going to be some risks. And we're going to think about those in these podcasts over the next couple of weeks. Number two, risk and return have an inverse relationship. What does that mean? Well, basically, if you want something which is low risk, it probably means that you're going to have to accept a low return. And we see that, for example, when we put our money in the bank. At the moment, the banks aren't paying very much interest because interest rates are so low. But generally speaking, even when interest rates are a little bit higher, banks tend to pay a fairly sort of a nominal, and a small rate of return on the money that you put in the bank because it's perceived to be low risk. So low risk often means low return. And the converse is, of course, that high risk usually means a high return. If you want a high return on your money, that's fine. There's investments which can give you a high return, but they're usually going to come with more risk attached so there's an inverse relationship between risk and return. Number three, it occurred to me that we all have very different attitudes to risk. And some people can cope with taking on more risk and some people can't. And I think one of the things which is very interesting and one of the things which I've learned particularly in my time in the progressive community is that it's very easy for us as investors to assume that people think the same way that we do. And this is one of the things which we talk about when we're talking about how to find JV partners, for example. Don't assume that people feel the same or think the same as we do because you'll find a whole range of opinions. But that can be quite a surprise to a lot of people because there's a natural assumption, I think, that if we think something, then everybody else thinks it as well. Not true. And this becomes very pronounced when we think about risk, when we think about people who are risk-takers against those who are cautious, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But number three... Yet, we all have different attitudes to risk. Number four, we all have different definitions of risk. Now, we've just thought about a few definitions of risk. And coming back to how we define risk as individuals, my experiences from talking to many, many people about this is that often when people mention risk, they don't mean risk perhaps in the way that we've just defined it. They just mean that there's something that scares them. But here's an interesting point just because something scares them, doesn't necessarily mean that it is actually a risk or that it's risky. And we'll be thinking about that in this series of podcasts. Now, my own definition of risk, my personal definition, is that things may not turn out the way that I envisage they will. Now, the reason why I like having my own definition of risk is because if you think about it, my definition doesn't necessarily imply a negative outcome. It's just saying things may not work out the way that I think they will. And that actually leaves open the opportunity and the prospect that things might actually work out better. But what it doesn't have, what my definition of risk doesn't have, is anything to do with fear. And I'm not just relying on hope. So maybe you need, maybe it would be a good exercise to think about how you define risk and how you see risk. But let me carry on. Number five. We might all see risks differently depending upon our circumstances. Yeah, our circumstances can affect the way that we see risk. So for example, if you had a million pounds in the bank and I had nothing in the bank, you might see losing a thousand pounds as not very risky. But if I've got nothing in the bank, I might see that as being very risky. So where we're starting from, our own personal circumstances can definitely affect how we think of risk and what we see as being risky. Number six, our own view of risk, especially in a property context, might be influenced by the strategy that we're trying to follow, the property strategy that we're trying to follow. So for example, if I buy a property as a single let, buy-to-let property, I might consider that to be quite risk-free. If I've done my research and I know that there's a ready rental market, then it's a vanilla buy-to-let, that's relatively risk-free. But somebody else, for example, who maybe is following a different strategy, maybe they want to do serviced accommodation. They could look at exactly the same property and they may see risk in that property or in buying that property which I wouldn't see. So again, strategy may come into it and affect how we see risk. And number seven, which I think is really important, and something which we should all need to bear in mind, myself included, are that many so-called risks are actually perceived and are not real. Many times the things which we're worried about, many times the things which we think are risky, are actually the result of our imaginations, perhaps over-imagining things, or maybe through a lack of education, which could be down through a lack of experience. Or even in this day and age, particularly with social media, and the access to information on the internet and the readily availability of hearing everybody's opinion and views, it could be what we could call false news or misinformation. But whatever they're caused by, quite often the things that we think are risky, the things that we're fearful of, actually just aren't real. We just think that they are. Okay, so those are some initial thoughts on risk and what risk is and some of the things that we need to think about. But how can we actually deal with risk? and our attitude to risk, particularly in a property context. Well, as I say, in the next podcast, we're going to think about some of the specific risks that we may come across in property. But let's just have a think now about how we can actually deal with risk and our attitudes to risk. And the starting point, I think, is probably to acknowledge that, to some extent, all of us as individuals are on a scale, and we're probably on a different point on that scale when it comes to risk. So at one extreme are those who are perhaps cautious. We'll call them cautious. They don't like risk at all, however they define risk. Now, the regrettable thing about being extremely cautious, and I know people who are extremely cautious, is that it can lead to procrastination, and it can lead to actually not doing very much. Something which we'll talk about in a moment. Whereas at the other end of the scale, there are those who are so flippant about risk, that we could almost consider them and describe them as being reckless. Perhaps they'll do things impulsively and without thinking. Now, I'd put myself, personally, at over halfway, probably towards the reckless end of the scale, although I don't consider myself reckless. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing, I'm just saying that's who I am, just sharing it with you. And I think that's probably a good thing to do. I think that to help ourselves as property investors, it's good to acknowledge who we are and what's in our flow, and if you're a cautious person, that's absolutely fine, nothing wrong with that, but just recognise it. If you're reckless, well, I won't call you reckless, but let's say that you're a little bit more impetuous, then maybe that needs to be recognised as well. The difficulty is that if you are erring towards being on the cautious side, as I've already alluded to, you may find it hard to act, and by the way, you'll probably come up with a lot of very rational excuses why you shouldn't act or take action, But if you were to dig deeper, ultimately your lack of action is probably going to be based on emotion and it will be an emotional decision and not the rational excuses which are actually, in reality, holding you back. And if you're at the bottom end of the scale, if you're towards the cautious end of the scale, you're probably going to need to learn how to stretch your comfort zone so that you can go up the risk scale. Now, that's a process. It's a journey. It's not something which you do overnight. I'm not saying that you should try and jump up the scale. It's probably better to take it in sort of small stages. It's actually a bit like going to the gym. You wouldn't go straight into the gym if you haven't been there for for months or years and start bench pressing 150 kilograms. You might start on 20 or 30 and then move up to 40 and then try 50. And that could be over weeks or months until you get up to that 150 kilograms. And in the same way, you perhaps need to look at stretching your comfort zone in the same way. Now, if you're at the other end of the scale, if you're what we could call impetuous, or if we're being a little bit more unkind, maybe reckless, then obviously you need to recognise that. You may need to recognise that you need to rein yourself in a bit, and for example, not do stuff on impulse that you're later going to regret, but try and train yourself and discipline yourself to do whatever it is you're doing with volition and foresight and knowledge. But here's a key thing. Wherever you are on the scale, if you are in property, or if you want to be in property, you need to be prepared to take some risk. Because it's difficult for, to see how you can participate in property without being willing to take on some risk. But the good news is, and if that makes you feel a little bit worried, the good news is that there are ways that you can mitigate and control risks. and I'm going to look at that in part two next week. So it might be helpful, I hope it'll be helpful, if I explain how I view risk and how I deal with it. Now, this is what I'm going to tell you, this is how it works for me. I appreciate this may not be right for you, but perhaps if you hear what I do and the way that I think about risk and the way that I look at risk, perhaps you can adapt this for yourself or maybe even use this as a basis to come up with your own method for dealing with risk. Now, I hope that you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you haven't, then you must put it on your reading list because it's the go-to book, isn't it, for anybody who's kind of like looking for self-development and financial freedom. So make sure if you haven't read it that you put it on your list now. And by the way, going off a bit of a tangent, this is the 20th anniversary year of the first edition and they've put loads of extra bits and pieces in. So it's well worth getting a copy. I've just gone out and bought a copy for my four children and I'm going to be testing them on it. So you may want to do the same. Get a copy for your friends and your family. But when you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you'll know that Robert Kiyosaki says, the middle class try and play it safe and avoid risk. And that's what keeps them middle class and not rich. And to quote my mentor, our very own Rob Moore, you'll quite often hear him saying, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So true, such true words. So let's not try and live risk-free lives. Let's accept that risk is just part and parcel of being a property investor, and let's embrace risk. Now the key thing is, as I say, we don't want to get reckless about this, we need to learn how to control and manage it. And I don't know whether you've ever heard the expression, but if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So we need to find a way to measure risk. And the way that I do this is that I like to think about probabilities. This is how I do that in practice. As a starting point, if I was about to take an action, if I was about to do something in property, whether that be buy a property, or take on a loan, or try and do a a deal with a JV partner, at a simple level, I would start off by deciding what it is that's actually worrying me. Once I've identified what it is that's going to worry me, then I'd think about the probability of that thing actually happening. Now, in my experience, and as a general comment, what I found is that most people who equate the word risk with being scary actually don't do that. They kind of assume that taking the action is like gambling or speculating. In other words, they don't really think about what the outcome of the action is going to be. All they know is that they just have a feeling there could be a bad outcome, and so they'd better not do anything. I don't want to do that. I think a better way is to try and think about what the outcome will be of a particular action and then think about the probability of that actually being the outcome. Now, I hope that makes sense. If you're not sure what I'm saying, I'm going to give you an example in a moment which will hopefully make it a little bit clearer. So think about what the outcome is and then think about what the probability of that outcome actually happening is going to be. When I've done that, I can then compare and contrast, very important, compare and contrast that outcome with a range of other possible outcomes, including uh, what is the worst that can happen outcome. Then I can look at all the different outcomes that are possible, decide what the probability of each one is going to be, and then I can make a decision as to whether I want to take the action. So that's a very, very simple technique which hopefully will help you. If you find that you procrastinate, if you can't make decisions, then just try doing this. Just think about an action you'd like to take. Think about something perhaps which at the moment you think might be a risky action to take. Then grab a piece of paper or get your laptop out or your tablet and make a list of the possible outcomes of taking that action. Then look at the list and decide how probable each of those outcomes actually is. Now, if the most probable outcome is negative then maybe you shouldn't actually take that action. Or perhaps, a better solution, would be to tweak what you're going to do so that you can get a more desirable outcome. If, on the other hand, when you look at the different outcomes and you find that the most likely outcome is positive, then you can go ahead. Now, it would be naive to go into something and assume that it's always going to work out well. I'm not saying that. But if, there's a, if you've looked at the probabilities and the probabilities it is going to work out well, that's great. But in any case, we can still be prepared just in case the unlikely happens and the result does turn out to be negative. So that's why it's important to actually look at all the possible outcomes. Look at the very worst outcome and think to yourself, can you live with that? If you can live with the very worst outcome, fine. Then you can carry on with confidence. If you think, no, I couldn't live with the very worst outcome, is there anything you can do to tweak things to actually make sure that that outcome doesn't happen? Yeah, possibly. Or you could look at it and think, well, do you know what? There is the possibility of a negative outcome, but the probability is so small that I'm prepared to go ahead anyway. And that's really what we talk about when we're saying taking a risk, isn't it? So let me give you an example. So without too many spoilers for next week, when we'll look at some specific risks in property in the next podcast, let's think of an actual example, a property example. Let's say, for example, we're going to buy a property. It's a good thing for property investors to do. We're going to buy a property. Now, there are many possible risks in theory with buying a property, and we'll maybe look at some of these next week in the next podcast. But let's choose one of them, which is a common one and which new and beginner investors often latch onto. And that is, buying a property is risky because property prices might crash after, or even as soon as, I've bought the property. Buying a property is risky because property prices might crash, either sometime in the future or even as soon as I've bought the property. Now that sounds like a reasonable worry, doesn't it? That sounds like the sort of thing which people consider is a risk in property, particularly new and beginner investors. And we've probably all worried about this one. I've worried about this one in the past when I first started. But let's think about the probabilities. Let's start by asking ourselves, what is the probability of the market crashing? And particularly, what is the probability of the market crashing as soon as I've bought the property? Well, if you know my story, you'll know I've been in property for over 35 years. And in that time, the property market has what we could call crashed. It's crashed twice, once in the early 1990s, And once in the late 2000s, in and around 2007, 2008, which I'm sure many of us can remember. Other than that, there's been the odd blip where properties may have gone down in value for a couple of months, but they've pretty much come back up again. So a crash in itself is actually very unusual. So looking at the probabilities, is there a risk that the property market might crash? Well, yes, of course it might, but it's a small risk. Twice in 35 years is not strong odds, is it? So, is there a risk that the property market might crash as soon as I buy my property? Well, yes, again, there is the possibility, but the odds are going to suggest that it's highly unlikely. The odds are very minor. And just think about this. When the property market did crash on those two occasions, there were very specific economic, financial, and arguably political reasons why the market crashed at those two points of history. So we can then ask ourselves another question, which is, are the reasons why the market fell before, or are the reasons why the market crashed before, likely to be repeated as soon as I buy my property? Now, it obviously depends on when you're buying the property, but you can look at the market, and you can look at the economics, you can look at the political state of the country, and you can come to your own conclusion. And if I was asking that question today, then I think the answer would be the probability is no. So let's take this a little bit further and ask it another question. Are there different reasons then why the market might crash, different from the reasons why the market crashed before? Well, again, you'd have to look at the market, you'd have to look at the political policies, you have to look to see what's going on to actually answer that question. But the answer for me today, if I was doing this today, is, well, I can't see any. Mind you, I'll be honest, just because I can't see any reasons why the market might crash, doesn't mean that those reasons actually aren't there lurking in the background. But on the balance of probability, the answer at the moment is no. So, so far, everything's looking quite good. It's making me think actually buying a property at the moment isn't necessarily as risky as I might have thought it was. But let me ask another question, and this is the key question, really. If the market did crash, What is the worst that could happen? Or what is the worst that would happen? Well, based on past experience, when the market crashed in the 1990s and in the late 2000s, values in some areas of the UK went down as much as 30%. Now, that wasn't across the board. Some areas were hit harder than other areas, so it depends on where you owned your property. But here's the thing, property values didn't crash, even in the worst hit areas, by 30% on day one. Typically, what we call a crash can take maybe two, three, four, five years for prices to slide, depending upon what's happening at the time. It can take between two and five years, maybe, for prices to actually hit rock bottom. So that gives a little bit of leeway, doesn't it? It's not like I'm going to be wiped out overnight. That gives me time to plan, maybe to have a contingency plan in place. Yeah, so actually that takes away a little bit of the risk as well. Another question. If prices and values did fall, is that something I could live with anyway? Now the answer to that might depend on how much we paid for the property. So for example, if we buy our properties BMV, below market value, depending upon how below market value we can actually buy them, we can have a buffer built in. And so if the market were to fall a little bit, maybe that's not going to affect us too much. And of course, part of the answer might depend on how the property is cash flowing. If the property is providing a really good cash flow and it covers its costs, then maybe it's not gonna matter too much if the market fell a little bit and prices went down a little bit. Because it would only really matter ultimately if we had to sell the property. Because here's the key thing. We can ask another question. What happens after the market crashes? Well, past experience suggests that in time, the market recovers. We know that the economy is cyclical We know that inflation's built in. We know that, for example, the Bank of England are tasked with keeping inflation at 2%. And so after every crash there's ever been in history, so far, property values have always recovered. Now, will that always happen? I can't say for sure yes, but on the basis of probability, the answer has got to be yes. The probability is that after every crash, there's going to be a recovery. So now that we know that there's only a minor risk of prices falling after we buy... Now that we know that it'll take maybe two to five years for prices to hit rock bottom, during which time we can plan to mitigate, or we can plan to sell, or if we don't even need to sell, we can wait for the prices to recover, we might conclude, rightly, that the risk in buying a property is actually small and worth taking. And here's the key thing, when you understand the possibilities, when you understand all of this and you understand the probabilities of different things happening, you can put risk into perspective so that you're not shooting in the dark, so it's not like gambling or speculating, and you're not relying on hope. You actually thought through what the different outcomes are likely to be and what the probability of those different outcomes are going to be. And when you look at risk this way, when you particularly think what is the worst that can happen? And you decide on what the chances are of the worst happening, then that can help you to make much better and much more informed decisions. Now, one of the great things about property, just sort of going back to that example, is that property is very forgiving. And often, I would admit not always, but usually, the effects of making even a big mistake disappear over time. And Anne Holton, who's one of my co trainer on the masterclass, and you've probably seen her at different progressive events speaking and heard her on webinars, for example. She says that making mistakes in property is a bit like having a bad haircut. If you give it enough time, it'll grow out. And yes, that's a bit of a simplification, but in many instances it's absolutely true. And so bottom line for a lot of the stuff which we worry about, which we consider to be risky in property, is actually, over time, A lot of these things actually come right anyway because of market movements. So that's a sort of a quick insight on how to judge risk, thinking about the outcomes, thinking about the probabilities. But a good question to that would be, well, how do you actually know how to judge the probability? How do you know what the various outcomes will be? And I guess there's a number of different answers to that, really. Ultimately, whether you find it easy to judge probability and to work out what the outcome of an action is going to be is probably going to come down to your experience. When you've been in property long enough you'll have seen most things so you will get better at this the longer you're in property. Your experience will start to come into play. Then of course there's your knowledge. Whether that's knowledge that you already have or whether it's knowledge that you're topping up through education and that's why education is so powerful and so important in property. And of course common sense. When we think about it, when we think about things logically and rationally, rather than emotionally, we can see what the most likely outcome is going to be. That is common sense. But if you're worried about that, if you're thinking, well, Peter, I'm only just starting, I haven't got very much experience, or I'm just starting, I haven't got very much knowledge, what can you do? Well, of course, you can tap into the experience of others. And that's one of the great things about being part of the Progressive community. That there's plenty of people on the Progressive Facebook page, for example, you can ask questions. If you're part of the VIP, which is a great thing to be on the mentoring programme that Progressive run, then the VIP Facebook page, or you can check in with your VIP mentor. You can tap into the knowledge of others in the same way. And, of course, you can do your own research and you can keep topping up your education. So the tools are there to be able to do this analysis. And the ultimate tool is life. The longer you're in property, the better you'll get at this. So those are some thoughts on risk. I hope you found that helpful. Justine, in the next podcast, we'll be thinking about some specific risks in property, but thanks for asking the question. In this podcast, I've given you my opinion that we're all on a scale where at one end are those who are very cautious and who do nothing, whilst at the other end are those who are reckless And we don't want to be either of those extremes. We want to be somewhere near the middle. I'm actually a little bit over halfway towards the reckless end, but I'm not reckless because I go through the process which I've described. I've explained to you that far from living risk-free lives, we should all embrace risk, but learn how to measure and manage it. And one way to measure and manage it, my way, and probably not the only way, but it is a way, is to think about the probabilities. In other words, to consider the possible outcomes of taking a particular course of action. And then to think what the probability is of these outcomes, each outcome occurring. Then to consider what's the worst of all these possibilities, and how likely is that to happen, and could I live with it if it did happen? If you can't, then you can do something to tweak the process, perhaps to limit the risk of that outcome happening. Or if the worst possible outcome is the most unlikely outcome, then maybe you just plod on anyway. Why not? Just go for it. So hopefully, By now, you'll see that uh, maybe risk isn't scary, or not as scary as maybe sometimes we've imagined it is, or maybe not as scary as the English Oxford Dictionary definition would suggest it is. And perhaps you can also see that actually risk in itself is not a bad thing, and it's not necessarily something to be avoided. We often talk about risk like it isn't a negative, a bad thing to be avoided. It shouldn't be avoided, but it should be controlled. And in fact, Far from being avoided, we actually need to embrace it. If we're going to be in property, it's going to be very, very difficult to avoid risk. So we need to understand it's there, and we need to be able to work with it. Because if we want everything, and by everything in the context of this podcast, I mean property, to be risk-free, then the truth is, the sad reality is, we're going to end up doing nothing. So thank you, Justine, for the question. Justine sent me the question by Messenger. But if you'd like to contact me, you can find me on Facebook. If you have a question that you'd like covered in the podcast, then please do let me know. One of the best ways to do that is to join the Facebook group, the Progressive Community. Come and join that. Get involved. You'll meet loads of other great people who are all doing property, people who are aspiring to the same sort of thing as yourself. And it's a great way for you to be able to communicate with myself and others. And if you've got a question, leave it there we'll find it. And if it's suitable for the podcast, we'll cover it. So I've been Peter Jones. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast. We've been talking about risk. Next week, we're going to be looking at some specific risks in property. So until next week, here's to successful property investing.